Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin Have a Podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about a new movie every week. This week on the show, we're talking about James Cameron's Avatar. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Nabi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit, and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zvokal, and joining me is my co-host, Cody Webb. Cody, how are you doing? Back, doing great. Another just great intro from you, if I may say. But uh, yeah, today we have a, a really fun episode, I think. Jimmy Cameron classic. Very topical, obviously, the sequel's coming out soon. But uh, yeah, we have a fun guest as well. So uh, I think it should be a good time. Yes. And uh, leading into that, for the first time ever, we have a CAP family member joining us on the show, uh, which is very exciting. So please welcome someone who probably remembers the release of this movie a lot better than Cody and I, uh, my older brother, Cade Zavokal. Cade, thanks for joining us and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Um, Like I was telling you earlier, I listen a lot, um, so I'm I'm happy to come on. And you're right, I do. I was thinking about that. I definitely do remember the release of this. I was 16, so it was like prime movie going time. So I probably have a little bit different perspective uh, than both of you guys on this. Yeah, definitely. And and just moving into the why. Why? 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 You know, typically we, we always say, why are we doing the movie? Obviously, we're, we're talking about it because The Way of Water comes out this weekend. And like Cody alluded to early in the episode, it's going to be a huge movie. This was the most popular movie of all time at its release. It's bounced around on the highest grossing list. Right now, it currently holds the spot at number one. So it's very, very much a topical, very popular movie to talk about. But I wanted to have Kate on the show specifically for this episode for that reason. Cody and I were nine and 10 years old, respectively, when it was released. I don't even know if I saw it in theaters. I, I literally don't remember the first time I saw it. I definitely did not. Um, but I'm in, like you said, Kate, this was the prime movie going time. So I think it's perfect that you're here to talk about it. It was such a big theater movie. I think my perspective would be very different. I'll be interested to hear what you guys think if I hadn't seen it in the theater, because that was kind of, that's the draw of this movie, I guess. Not yeah. to spoil future thoughts, but that that is uh, the main draw of this movie. So I think it would be way different had I not seen it in theaters. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get into our initial thoughts to get things started. Good morning, Vietnam! First of all, I just wanted to say, you know, Cody, we mentioned in the last episode, there's a Ranger Rick reference in Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a Ranger Rick reference in this movie. So that's back-to-back Ranger Rick references randomly. And uh, also back-to-back Disney Plus movies. So uh, we're just we're just following the Disney train here. Back on the Disney train. I think in season one, we were on the big-time Disney train. Took a couple seasons off, but uh, we are officially back. And yeah, the Ranger Rick, that's got to be a coincidence because I, I can't think of any other movie 
that makes like a Ranger Rick reference. We picked the only two back to back. Also, like technically you did say like it's the number one grossing movie of all time. That's like a, a really weird thing to talk about just because there are so many re-releases that they do now. And I believe at one time Endgame had the number one title. And well, it just no it just recently overtook it like a couple months ago yeah. at, at a real no release reason. that I saw. Yeah, James Cameron was just like, oh, you know, the sequel's coming out. We got to re-release just to get the number one ranking back. Yeah, so I think it made I think it made thirty million dollars, which is crazy for a re-release exactly. movie. I mean, a lot of new movies aren't even coming close to that right now, and. I don't know. I guess there is still excitement for this movie uh, heading into the sequel that I didn't really know if it was still there or not. But got the top spot back, so. <laughs> True. I think the sequel's tracking for around like $550 million right now opening weekend, which obviously is just an estimate. But, oh, this this movie's going to make absolute bank. I think it could have a chance to, to overtake this movie, which is insane enough. But yeah, a lot of money being poured into this this film, rightfully so. Definitely interesting to see. I, I want to talk about, like, I guess, Cade, what do you remember about, like, the Avatar craze? Because people were going to see this movie countless times. I mean, what what kind of impact do you think it had at the time? Yeah, so I only saw it one time, and that was honestly enough for me. I thought it was really cool. But I did have friends that saw this movie three and four times. You know, they drove to see it at the IMAX. They went back to see it in 3D. They saw it again, like, I was never drawn to it like that, but a lot of people were. There's just so much hype going into it that this was like new technology. No one had ever seen anything like this before. I mean, James Cameron had been talking about making this movie since the mid-90s. So like leading up to it, there was hype for years. Like, oh, this James Cameron movie's coming out. It was his follow-up to Titanic, which obviously I was too young for, but I still knew Titanic. And there was just a ton of hype and a lot of people bought into it, and a lot of people really enjoyed the movie, which was evident by how many times they went and saw it. So yeah, like I said, I only saw it once. I only saw it in standard. I'm not a fan of 3D movie theater experience at all, and you know, not having an IMAX in Muncie. I never saw it in IMAX, but um, I did go see it, and pretty much everyone else did as well. It was just one of those movies. One of the, obviously, last real movies like that um, outside of some of the Marvel stuff that come out in the last 10 years it's, it's definitely interesting to see the, the way that kind of marvel movies have taken the place of this and the event movie and the blockbuster and like you said nothing really exists that can still do it it's really going to be a big test will avatar the way of water be able to kind of replicate this billion dollar campaign that the original had uh you mentioned 3d and this was kind of also an interesting time because it was this like 3D was a new thing. It was, it was starting to happen. People were wanting to get like 3D TVs and it's a tr fad and trend that existed for a few years and then pretty much died out. And even now today, a couple movies will release in 3D, but rarely will you see it. This one is having a 3D release. Cody, are you a fan of 3D movies or do you think it's just kind of extra BS? I think that's like the ultimate mo movie fad of all time, sort of the 3D trend. Um I think for a movie like this, it is something I am interested in just because, I mean, I feel like, well, I don't, I don't know. How, how much of the movie do you think is actually like animated? I feel like in this, it's it's somewhere like around 60% like, I think of this one. Okay, I would have guessed higher, but just like the mocap craze as well, I think at this time, it was kind of taking over Hollywood and something like James Cameron was super interested in uh, for a long time, I think. 
But yeah, I mean, other than this movie, <laughs> like who even releases in 3D anymore? I don't know. But if they do, I never see it in 3D. I do like the glasses to keep those as like you know a sentimental thing. But no, nah, I don't think um, anybody's really putting their money into 3D anymore either. Yeah, I, I when I when it did re-release, I did get to go see it at the the big I, IMAX in Manhattan, and it was in 3D. And I will say the cool thing about this movie is. It's not using 3D in an extremely gimmicky way where a lot of movies that were 3D, it was like, let's throw stuff at the camera just so like the audience gets that reaction. This is just 3D adds to the immersion, which I guess you can give it credit for that at least. Definitely. Yeah, there definitely was the trend for a while with the 3D. And I think it was, was there like a Spy Kids 3D? Spy Kids 3D, yeah. Right? I yeah. think that was one of the first yeah. ones where it was like, you no, know, everything is flying out at you. And that's not what this one did or what really a lot of 3D movies did kind of once they got away from the gimmick but i just still do not prefer it i i think the only time i went and saw a 3d movie it was just like that was the only showing at the time that worked so it was like i did it and just i just don't enjoy it as much so I, I try and avoid it and luckily the print has kind of died yeah definitely cody i'm curious here some some more initial thoughts from you uh in re-watching this movie yeah i think i believe this is only the second time i've seen this movie um, obviously, didn't catch it in theaters, so didn't get that experience. But I mean, for me, this movie is kind of just dumb fun. I feel like it's low key like a throwback to maybe early '90s, late '80s action movies, like a little bit. Even though it deals with, you know, some bigger themes, you know, i.e., environmentalism, you know, uh, sort of living a double life and and religion as well. It, I feel like it has a lot to say about that in general. You know, the script and the acting, I don't think really back up those ideas much. But, I mean, visually, this this movie is pretty sick. Obviously, I watched it on my TV, which I didn't get the full experience. I actually wanted to watch it on my laptop just for the memes. But I was like, eh, probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this movie. And, like, visually speaking, it, it is up there for, I, I think, one of the best, like, visually speaking movies. I don't know. I am generally a fan, but, I mean, there's so much just dumb stuff. And the characters are so bad, which I'm sure we'll get into. But overall, surprisingly, I, I am pretty positive on this one. And I'll throw it over to you, Kate. I know you had actually recently rewatched this movie already, but in seeing it again, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, so I watched it last night. So that's the third time I'd ever seen it. Um, and right, I did. I thought I'd rewatched it more recently, but it was actually last December, so about a year ago. Um, so I saw it in theaters in 2009, then I watched it a year ago, and I watched it last night. I think I can honestly say each time I rewatch it, I like it a little bit less. Um, the experience is not as good. Like I think even my letterbox review that you probably saw was like when I watched it the second time and the first time I'd seen it in theaters, I was like, once you kind of take out the theater experience for me, that was most of the draw. The story's not great or original by any means. Characters aren't really great or you know, you don't really care about the characters at all, which I'm sure not at all a lot more later. Yeah, like it just and I think there's been a lot of that discussion over the last 10 years, like no one cares about Avatar anymore, which I think has maybe gotten a little exaggerated to a point. But yeah, I, I don't love this movie. It's really long. And I think every time I watch it, um, I like it a little less. And I will say since a year ago when I watched it, the hype for this new one has slowly built for me where I'm like, I think I am going to go see this in theaters. After rewatching this, the hype has like come back down to earth a little bit. I'm not as excited because I'm like, ah, this one was two hours and 40 minutes, and I really think you feel the runtime. And the yeah. new one is three hours and 10 minutes. 
which is insane. Like, I just, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll probably end up going to see it at the theater, but um, yeah, I, I like the movie less every time I see it, I think. It's very clear. You see the cracks more and more the closer you look at it. So I completely understand. Like you said, it's extremely long. It is long. It feels longer than it is, too, I feel like. It really drags. It does. 40 minutes in, I checked the time and I was like, oh, there's two hours left. Sick. That's <laughs> that's really exciting. The, the story itself has this very appeal to everyone, mo- liberal but moderate kind of, yes, it has that idea of environmentalism, and anti-colonization, but it, it still like features this disabled war vet with a dead brother and these like it. It's just very much like this is a story that everyone can get behind. And it clearly was because literally everybody went to go see it and enjoyed it. It is funny. I was reading the uh, James Cameron GQ piece that was recently done. And he talked about uh, the head of Fox, Peter Shernan at the time said uh, no to the film initially. And he said, is there any way you can get rid of the tree hugging hippie bullshit? Um, and he said, uh, I'm at a point now in my career and in my life where I can pretty much make any movie I want. And I choose to make this story because of the tree hugging hippie bullshit, um, which is funny. James Cameron is kind of a, he's a vegan Canadian sort of guy, gun toting Canadian, but, um, this stuff does matter to him while I don't think it's really taking an extremely strong stance on the subject matter. It, it is taking somewhat of a stance, which is interesting to see. I feel like also in 2009, maybe slightly more progressive than it is now in in 2022. There's definitely some problems that that we'll talk about. Yeah, I I think he kind of has like a stake in both sides of the political field, which is kind of funny. Talking about like the disabled war vet, obviously leaning one way and then the the tree hugging hippies (laughs) leaning the exact opposite. But yeah, no, that GQ piece is actually really interesting because I think he didn't really want to keep making movies unless there was a specific purpose to where he, you know, conceptualized that he was helping out the world in some way. So obviously, I think the sequels are going to delve more into um, these big ideas. But it's kind of weird how, like, one of the best directors of all time was kind of done with movies. And he was going to move on to try and be like an environmentalist. And uh, we should we should clip that, that video because it actually is really cool, him speaking about it. But uh, yeah, shout out Jimmy Cameron. Loki, uh, a pretty good guy, I think. Especially for the movie industry, I mean, where we have a lot of scumbags. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and well, you know, it's interesting because James Cameron also like is is known as a very harsh person, but people kind of uh, follow him. They 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 really gather around him as as a visionary. Definitely recommend checking out that article because there is a a ton of information uh, about the the wild world of James Cameron. Uh, why don't we go ahead and move into roll credits? Roll credits. So uh, first, let's talk about the title of the movie, Avatar. Obviously, the word avatar itself is derived from the Sanskrit avatra, meaning descent. Avatar first appeared in English in 1784, uh, which means an incarnation of human appearance or a deity, uh, particularly referring to the Hindu god Vishnu at the time. Um, Just a little information from the New York Times there. But avatar as a like the shout avatar as a title, I think is really interesting because it's just like the most generic, like, what does that even mean? It doesn't really have anything to do with the movie itself. Um, and then, of course, you have the, like, the Avatar, The Last Airbender comparisons. He he ha- owned the rights to this title for, like, 20 years. So when that TV show was being made, 
they couldn't title it Avatar because he already had the copyright, even though this was like five years from this movie even coming out. What, what do you guys think about the title Avatar? Yeah, I think it fits. It's not super unique, but I mean, if you look back at some of his past movies, I don't think any of them are super unique. Like, I mean, Titanic, that's as straight to the point as you can get with the title. And I mean, to make the sequel to Alien and just name it Aliens, like, you know, Terminator, Terminator 2, which I guess you do have the, the tagline on Terminator 2, but I guess his movie titles have always been kind of straight and to the point. So yeah, I think I think it fits. The, the Airbender thing is kind of weird because those were kind of simultaneous uh, as they were happening. Um, to have two different things with the same name, I think could be confusion. But this one obviously ended up being way, way bigger. So I think it kind of won that battle. Yeah, true. Yep. And then and then M Night Shyamalan makes the last Airbender movie, <laughs> which uh, is the final nail in that coffin. I'd say. Yeah, we don't talk about that movie, but. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I don't really like this title. I think Cameron, he likes just one-word titles, which I like a lot, too. Uh, Denis is also a big fan. Uh, but I think his best title is T2, Judgment Day, by far. But, I mean, I feel like Avatar doesn't really have that much to do with this movie. Obviously, you know, that's you know what they're going into to, to join the Na'vi. But, I mean, the only time it's really talked about is that at the very beginning where, you know, uh, his brother's dead, join his avatar or whatever, because you have the same DNA. That's really the only relevant to the, to the story. But I feel like the larger themes, you could have gone something more creative. So I'm not a massive fan. Yeah, the, they set up, like, the concept of the avatar and, like, do all that in the first 20 minutes. Like, they set it up and give the whole backstory, which I kind of appreciate, but then it's crazy that there's another two hours and two minutes after that. But like they set it up and like explain what an avatar, like I think he's in the avatar with what within the first 10 minutes, he's like running around. Like they waste no time. Um, and then things kind of slow down after that. But yeah, you're right. Once that happens, like it doesn't really get talked about a ton. And well, it's interesting because there's a there's like an actual entire sequence that takes place on Earth that they like significantly cut back out of this movie so it could have been much longer and we could have had an even slower opening i, I think obviously they lean heavily heavily into narration to kind of like tie everything together so maybe you you, you go away from that kind of lazy plot device but you end up with what is a tighter first you know 20 minutes which is good i mean that that first opening is, is basically just an exposition dump i think it's kind of like oh get it get caught up like we're at the planet already these are the characters but also I wanted to mention the opening and closing shots where we have the symmetry, which I, uh, excuse my language, I fucking love that shit. If you give me an opening shot and then mirror it with the, like basically the exact same thing in the closing shot, I'm a massive fan. Obviously we've, we've talked about that before, Gone Girl, episode one, a bunch of others as well. But yeah, that's just like, uh, I feel like it's a super uh, film bro thing that I just really love. So shout out Jimmy in that. I hope they do it in the sequel too. Just give me eyes opening and then, you know, eyes closing at the end and, and I'll be happy. And, you know, of course, when his eye opens, he's covered in blue light to, to kind of make his, yeah. his face look blue. Um, I do want to, there's a quote in the beginning of this movie. He says, a guy with a gun decided to end his journey for the paper in his wallet, which is just such a like, like you, such a weird way to just be like, yeah, he got robbed and killed. But the, the dialogue in this as a whole is not great. And I, I think that's just a very early example of it. They give no reason on like why his brother was killed. I, I don't, I still don't. He was robbed, man, for the paper in his wallet. <laughs> so they just kill him? Weird future. I mean, this is like what, 20, 
21 40 or something i think but still ridiculous i mean just getting mugged and and you're dead i, I don't really understand it hey but, yeah. It's a great throw, Cody. Wait till you wait till you hear what happens in the present. I do want to talk about James Cameron a little bit. Obviously, he's a very interesting character. Has directed multiple over a billion dollar films. His career arc. His first movie was up like Piranha Two, which he ended up getting fired from and didn't yeah. even finish. He said it was bad anyway, so he was kind of glad. Um, he but then he then he moves on to Aliens and he does like True Lies, Terminator, Terminator Two, and then of course Titanic. And then he takes a big break from Titanic to Avatar and he, he directs like these two documentaries, which kind of like are proof of concept shooting underwater things uh, that kind of help him get to the point of where he can make Avatar. And it's also kind of a continuation of the love he learns from making Titanic. Uh, but then eventually you get Avatar, you know, a decade later. And then here we are another 13 years later, finally getting Avatar The Way of Water, which is a movie that has been worked on for the past decade. Um, and just because of money and technology constraints, they haven't really been able to put it out. The character of James Cameron himself is very interesting. Uh, like we said, he's a vegan. He owned a pea protein factory at one point because he was really interested in that as an alternative to meat. He currently lives on a farm in New Zealand, which has gone through all these different stages of positive ecology and, and how can he build a sustainable environment for people to eat. He loves guns, loves to shoot guns. He took Sigourney Weaver shooting guns before aliens to convince her to do it. Yeah, he's just really crazy guy. And uh, yeah, obviously a true artist. People will say uh, the only things he can't do on set better than the person on set is be the caterer and be an actor, which I think is also a fun anecdote that he's just kind of a jack of all trades. Have you, either one of you guys watched Entourage, the TV show? No. no. Okay, see, I didn't figure so, so I... I was going to make a joke. He has a recurring role um, in a season of Entourage playing himself Aquaman. Uh, for four or five episodes. And in the movie, in the TV show, he's directing um, an Aquaman uh, <laughs> movie with the main character of Entourage. So they at for with that movie, that was his follow up to Titanic. And, you know, they set all the box office records with that. So I was going to say something I was like, but they probably haven't seen Entourage. I think the, the age gap is enough. True. I've seen some notes of that just because the. Uh... I'm a I'm a comic nerd or whatever, but I think there's like one scene they show from the fake film where the guy's just like diving in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, the trailer they you see the whole trailer. It's uh, Vinny Chase and Mandy Moore, and that was the movie that made the most money of all time in that in that. Yep, it, it passed Spider Man. I think was uh, what it was going for. It was opening weekend was uh, what it. Oh, okay. So they were going for Spider Man was the whole the whole. Shout out Vinny though. The the, uh, the coolest thing about James Cameron, other than being on Entourage, though, is that he is dove to the bottom of the Mariana Trench and was like the first person to do it solo. And uh, other people have done it since, but that's just like an insane, like not only is this guy a visionary director, but also he's explored the deepest part of the ocean. I respect. He's got that exploring too. Yeah. That's the way, that's, hey, I actually did not know that. The way of water. He was like a single vehicle. He just went down to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, man, just going. He says he's the deepest. He's the deepest anyone's ever gone. But other people claim they've now since gone deep. It's a whole thing. Don't don't ask James Cameron about it. He'll get mad. <laughs> Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll start with the good, and then I'm sure we'll spend more time on the bad. 
Uh, Cade, what's the good stuff about this movie? Yeah, so I mean, we already talked about the theater experience and the money it made. Like, obviously, those are good, both good things about the movie. Also touched on the messaging, you know, the environmental, the anti-war type stuff. I think that's all good, um, especially when this came out, you know, it's like Iraq war time. So I think there was probably more anti-war sentiment at the time, which is why it was accepted uh, kind of kind of more widely. And I think as far as characters go, trying to be positive about things, I think the bad guy in this movie, the Colonel, uh, played by Stephen Lang, I think he is the best character in this movie. Like he's just perfect for that part. Um, he's got the look, and I think as far as characters go, I, he was my favorite, and I think uh, was the best in this. Well, not a super deep character that we know much about for the part. I think he looked the part and was good in the part. Stephen Lang plays like the perfect army sergeant villain bad guy. Uh, there, there was like a short-lived TV show called Terra Nova where he like did a very similar thing, and it was like a space thing and into like just a couple of years later definitely kind of playing off the success of this to a certain degree um but yeah he's perfect for that role uh i think my favorite character is michelle rodriguez which again it's like a very like every person in this is just two-dimensional singular like you know like one thing about him and that's their whole personality and in michelle rodriguez is very much like that but she's an enjoyable badass fun part of the movie whereas a lot of the other people are just kind of at least more boring um, and, and Michelle Rodriguez, again, plays that character very well. Yep. I definitely agree with that. Michelle Rodriguez was one of my favorites. I just feel like she's not in the movie that much, which kind of sucks. But I wish she did have more scenes because everything she was in, uh, I did like a lot. The other standout for me was Zoe Saldana, actually. I think she was actually really good. I feel like most of the Navi stuff was a lot more interesting to me than any of the military stuff. Stephen Lang, I thought it was okay. But uh, I am going to recast them later. Uh, so, yeah, I think all the Navi, like, actors, actresses are in that mocap, you know, for ages. And um, I think they actually all gave pretty decent performances. Just, like, the main four of, of that core family, I think, was all pretty solid. So I wanted to shout them out. And then, as well, my biggest positive, which we've already touched on a little bit, is the visuals. But just any of the flying scenes, I think, are really good. Uh, when he first gets on, like, uh, you know, his new Banshee or whatever. I was legit like on the edge of my seat, uh, even if I've seen it before, just because it, seeing that in 3D would actually be pretty dope, I think. But yeah, anything in the air, I'm a fan of. Michelle Rodriguez and Zoe Saldana, though, were, were definitely my faves. There's just some really good captivating set pieces. Like, obviously, as a whole, it's very visually impressive, but particularly like the Hallelujah Mountains and the final battle, everybody flying around. That's just a, it's a cool place to have your final battle. And then, of course, like the home tree getting destroyed and the fire and it coming down. Like, that's also a very riveting scene. So he, he knows how to set up a really powerful sequence, which which is definitely cool to see for me. Some of the other visuals at points don't always hold up. Sometimes it skirts that line of like, is this a video game? Is this real? You, you get the whole thing. We're watching this on streaming, on our laptops, on, you know, whatever, your phone, however you're watching it. So it kind of varies from that original theater experience. Um, however, I think the very first scene of him being an avatar is maybe the most successful. And it is 
the most pivotal because you need that scene to work for it to then work for the rest of the movie. He, he wakes up as the avatar, he kind of runs out and then you get to see him interact with his environment. He kind of slides through the dirt. It actually causes the dirt to move around. He rubs his feet around. He eats this weird fruit. So I think stuff like that, setting it up and in, in, in executing those particular scenes effectively kind of uh, sets the stage for the whole movie to be successful visually. Yeah, I agree. I think the Navi and, and the avatars, actually look pretty good and i do think they hold up i think maybe the the jungle animals are where they don't hold up i think the mech suits sometimes like are a little i think sometimes there's like it's kind of like an optical illusion looking at half the stuff because you don't know like oh where it's exactly at on screen sometimes it looks too big sometimes it looks too small but no everything like if it's blue i think it looks great in this movie fair enough fair enough i think the animals like uh the panther that whatever that thing was it kind of looks like uh bill skarsgård from the eternals <laughs> so, so not great also the dogs look bad too i think but i mean it, it's all cgi so it's hard to pinpoint i think what's good and bad because it's all the same but well let's let's keep talking bad cody what else is bad about this well i got a couple first off acting wise i got a shout out head legend giovanni Rabisi. <laughs> um you know the guy just wants unobtainium i can't really blame him but uh, I, I think his performance is, is the standout, you know, terrible one. So I, I got to shout him out. I, I got to say unobtainium was actually one of the first things I, what, what is unobtainium? I guess it's like a, a energy source, but it's just the stupidest, like one a stupid name, but also just like the idea of the whole reason they're there is to just get this particular material that we're not going to explain to you. It's just like a bad MacGuffin in a certain, certain sort of way. Yeah, the name is ridiculous. That's on my list of bad. Like, I put unobtainium. Are you kidding? Like, what a ridiculous <laughs> name. Like, I think you could come up with something way more creative than that. Uh, yeah, that's one thing that was just, I thought was really weird. I guess other things, which we've already mentioned that I, I wasn't a big fan of, was the long run time. We already talked about that. Um, it's just really long, which is crazy when you think about how quickly they set everything up and then it just kind of comes to a halt. Um, Cody mentioned how, how much he loved the flying scenes. I think they were cool. I think you could cut them out and the movie's 40 minutes shorter. There's a part where it seems like it's just flying scene, like montage after flying scene montage, where it gets to be a bit much, but it is really cool. And I, I think in the theater, that was, you know, one of the parts that really stood out. Um, that's you kind of get to see the overview of, you know, the planet, which uh, Pandora as a whole, you could probably throw in the good category, but also in the bad with the long run time, the weak characters. And also, I, I think I would just say bad acting from the lead, Sam Worthington. He is not good. He was an unknown going into this, and he still has never really done anything since. Um, I don't think anything that I've seen. Actually, maybe Man on the Ledge. I think that's a movie he's in but he's in clash of the titans okay yeah so he's not good and i had never noticed this until last night so maybe it's not uh i don't think it's super noticeable but once i noticed it last night i couldn't stop and then i had to look it up to make sure i wasn't going crazy there's a lot of times where he is like fighting off an australian accent i don't know <laughs> if you guys know like there's times he's even talking like with an accent and i was like okay he's a u.s veteran so like that's not supposed to be the case. And I looked it up and he is Australian and there are uh, threads on the internet of people complaining about the same thing. So that's kind of weird. Like when things like that happen on a movie that costs us much money, that's just, it's just weird. Like it just seems sloppy to me. 
Um, so I think that's mostly the the bad stuff. Like I said, the bad characters, like I just don't think you care about any of them at any point. Like just none of them. You don't really have much of a backstory, not that you need a lot of backs, but you just at no point was I really on the edge of my seat or caring about what happened to any of these people, I felt like. The reason you're supposed to root for Jake Sully is because he is a war veteran who lost his legs and his brother died. Like, it's just because of things you're told about him, not because of anything he does. And then even when he like does start to do stuff, the first hour of this movie, he's kind of a bad guy. Like he's going along with the plans of Lang and Rabisi's characters. So I, I don't know, you're definitely just completely two-dimensional at all points. Um, you've got like the Norman Spellman guy who's just the weird nerd character who's clumsy and Sigourney Weaver's the scientist and it, it's just all the same. The dialogue is either a mix between people asking what the hell's happening and somebody explaining it to them or people just explaining things that they should already know. It's, it's a lot of just exposition. We need to get this line of dialogue out to make it very clear. I will say the movie isn't confusing, which is definitely a positive. Like, I think it's easy to understand because it punches you in the face over and over. Like you understand why he can go into the dead body of, of the, or go into the avatar's body at the end because Sigourney, it doesn't work for Sigourney Weaver. And you understand why this is happening because they've told you that, that this tree is sacred like six different times in different stuff. It's just like this repetition of exposition is, is pretty rough. And then mixing with that, there's also just a ton of narration, which is supposed to be these like him just vlogging the whole time, which is the classic sci-fi movie on a ship. We, we're going to have you do a video log to use for narration. Uh, shout out The Martian and Interstellar and, and literally every movie. And, but the thing is, when he is doing this narration, it's not its not the narration you would do to a video log where you're like actually explaining what's happened. It's very like snarky remarks about the events you're seeing on screen in a montage. And like you see him fall off the horse, but like he doesn't tell you that. He's just like, yeah, it was, it was kind of tough to learn at first. And that's all the explanation he gives, which doesn't really make sense when you start to think about it. Um, in terms of visual effects wise, I think stuff with like fire and explosions, muzzle flashes, I think that stuff doesn't look great in comparison, which is kind of ironic because there's been so much focus in the last 10, 15 years on like getting that stuff to look really good. And I think maybe that's why it doesn't hold up in the same way. You got your Michael Bay's, um, you even have, you know, Chris Nolan wanting to do a lot of this stuff practically because it's hard to get right digitally. The love story, there's a love story at the center of this guys. It's, it's awful. There's no chemistry. I, it's just confusing. And uh, yeah, that, that's probably my least favorite part is that they have no connection whatsoever, but they're supposed to be the emotional weight. Nowhere as well. Like, just like, oh, we're two hours into this movie. Yeah, you know, she's done all the training. You know, he, he's integrated into the society. And then, oh, you know, they got a, they got a mate at the end as well. Just for attention, I, the script, I feel like all of these characters are just straight up one-dimensional. Like, we know exactly what they're going to do at every moment in time. You know, Stephen Lang is going to be this military guy who will never stop. And, you know, he's going to go the way of the money. And uh, Sigourney Weaver, she's a scientist. She's never going to think anything less. There's no character growth, I don't think, anywhere in here, which kind of sucks. Hey, Cody. Uh, Yeah. You're cutting out a little bit. Can you hear me? I, I, I mean, I got the gist of what you're saying, but maybe just pause for a second and let it. All right. You want to try again? A couple of scenes I do want to point out that um, I don't like. 
So first off, the the introduction of Michelle Rodriguez to the final battle. Obviously, she comes out, you know, guns blazing in her plane. But the thing I don't like is her plane, it's like painted with like war paint. <laughs> I think it's too on the nose. I don't like it. Also, rip uh, Emrod. They got to tell him apart. Sequel, but she's not. Actually, pretty much rip everybody. But uh, I mean, all the dead people are coming back, though. So. Well, just Sigourney Weaver in a weird role. And Stephen but, uh, Lang, I think. Yeah, I saw him on the cast list. And I was like, are we doing flashbacks or brought back Ooh. to life? Like, I don't know. I thought that was odd. I kind of like that, actually. I didn't know he's coming back. That's interesting. Maybe he's playing uh, different characters. Well, I, I'll have to look into it. But the other one doesn't that I, uh, I'm not a fan of does have to do with Stephen Lang. And it's when he's in that, that mech suit at the end. I don't know why, but it really just pisses me off when he like whipped out that massive knife <laughs> to meet the mech suit. I think that's cheesy as hell and uh, not a fan, but that's just my two small gripes uh, at the end of the movie. There. Why don't we uh, move into the ugly, Cody, and why don't you just keep it going for us? Let's do it. All right, my first ugly, it's kind of a joke, but uh, I mean, Sam Worthington, he's basically just a dog fighter out here. Uh, basically, the first scene we have, He's just fighting like 10 dogs. So uh, I think that's a little ugly and something I don't support. So yeah. Just random creatures from the depths of Pandora. Fair enough. I mean, they're dogs though. Are they not dogs? I mean, they're like, they're space <laughs> dogs, I guess. Yeah, sure. He's well, beating up animals. Fight. Not a good thing. I, I mean, we're surprised if he was like throwing money in the ring. All of a sudden, I mean, <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's wouldn't be surprised. I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, our former guest, Jackson Mihirani. He wrote a great article for the film Yap. We'll link it in the description called uh, Pandora's Time Capsule Revisiting Avatar 13 Years Later. Um, he talks a lot in the article about specifically, you know, the idea that this is, you know, a white savior movie, a white interloper story, uh, except the the people of color, the indigenous people are just replaced by blue people instead. Uh, it's reminiscent of, you know, Dances with Wolves or Pocahontas, but from the John Smith perspective, um, it's very much about a movie about how humans and especially Americans have this innate desire to manifest destiny and plunder the earth or other planets um, and its people for all of the resources until there's literally nothing left, which, while that is a positive message, the perspective it sets it in, having it like very much be about this like white character who comes in and saves the day is obviously problematic. And it's very unsurprising considering how many movies have told the same story over and over, particularly with stories about native peoples. There's not a lot of great examples of, of that being done in the right way, which is un- definitely unfortunate. And uh, that's an ugly thing about this movie. Agreed. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's it's a story that's been told a lot of times, um, which is you know definitely in the bad category also, just that it's how generic it is. And you mentioned two movies, Fern Gully's another one. Um, there was an animated movie from the 90s that I remember watching. So yeah, it's just kind of a generic story. And then maybe now considered a little problematic. I try not to get too caught up on that because i mean at the end it is science fiction and aliens but i do see the parallels i see where people are coming from with that what i think uh ugly and i don't know if this this maybe is more bad than ugly but it's interesting because we also mentioned this for the good but i think how the uh, motion capture and cgi have aged is it does not look as good as it used to at the time it was revolutionary i think now it's all that motion capture and CGI, like that's all so common in movies. So we've seen it done better countless times in the last decade where at the time it was new, 
and it was awesome and it looked beautiful and it still does to an extent, but it's just not as impressive now. Uh, I think whether you're in a theater or, or not, like we've all seen that a million times. I mean, that's every Marvel movie, which it's now like a knock against Marvel movies is like how heavily they rely on motion capture and the CGI. Um, so I think that literally ugly, I don't think it looks as good as it, it did. And at times with the aliens themselves, they almost look like video game characters. Um, I mean, video game technology has advanced so much. I mean, in 13 years, I, I don't think it looks as good as it used to. And that's what it relied on so heavily was how good it looked. Well, and it's, it's interesting we, we say that, but the thing is like literally with video games, now they are doing like motion capture to the same degree. They're bringing in real actors and really like, they're kind of just recreating what they did with Avatar, but for a lot cheaper and a lot easier now, uh, a decade later. Like you said, it's it was completely new. That was what the appeal was. No one had ever seen anything like this. It had never been done this successfully. Our last episode was about Guardians of the Galaxy. Two of the you know five Guardians are fully CG characters and nobody really bats an eye. That That's only six years after this movie comes out. Um, so clearly the technology has progressed and there's been such a focus on it that... I, I can definitely understand why you would you know, say that it would be still ugly uh, after all this time. Obviously, there's bits and pieces of, you know, the U.S. military that's not doing good things, but that that's pretty played out in the movie. Honestly, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't have too much else. Well, then let's move on to weird movie details trivia. Naked grandma! Naked, huh? This is where we make up some trivia questions. Cody, nice to see your face again. Back. I'll, I'll ask the uh, first question and I feel like this is gonna is a pretty easy one. So, uh, what college did Sigourney Weaver's character attend? Um, it was an Ivy because she wears the sweatshirt, right? Yeah, uh, Harvard, yeah. baby, Harvard or MIT would be where I'm leaning. Cody, do you know the answer? Yeah, I believe, I definitely do. I actually looked into. I was trying to figure out if Jake Sully went to a college because that was the question I was gonna ask. But I believe that at the beginning of the movie, she's wearing a Stanford shirt. It is Stanford. Uh, so not an ID, but close. Close. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I always think it's funny because I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not an original joke, but it's like they're like eight foot tall blue people. So she would have had to have like a sweatshirt specifically made or at least get like a specific size so she could wear it when she was around these native people that have no idea what Stanford is. It's just kind of a weird thing to think yeah, about. Yeah, and brought it five years away or however, <laughs> yeah, however yeah. Like, so, but we haven't even talked it. about that yeah. six year trip to get here yeah. that that's a whole nother thing i'll pop straight into my next question it's a good one i think uh, no multiple choice here but in which country did jake sully uh, lose his legs and uh, to give a hint it is in south america <sighs> i i remember the line but yeah you, you don't have you can't give us multiple choice south american countries cody how many countries are in south america dude go on Tannish, I think. I don't know, somewhere around yeah. there. There's your options. <laughs> just all the countries. Um, out? I could, I can name like five. I feel there. like, for some reason, I want to say Argentina. I was thinking Venezuela. So. Oh, that. Oh no, it it definitely is Venezuela. It is, it is Venezuela because Stephen Lang. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. He says like, away. yeah, yeah, Venezuela. Because they were like in the same branch of the military, the same group or something. Yeah, Kate is correct. It is Venezuela. I, I think the line something along of, oh, you ran into some real nasty stuff down there in Venezuela. I, I looked in your record or something. But uh, yeah, just a throwaway line. But I thought that was funny. Cade, we'll throw it over to you. 
Okay, yeah, so mine's not directly about the movie. Um, I think so much of the discussion about this movie is the, you know, the box office numbers, and I really like box office numbers in the list. So this is more of a box office records question, I guess. So we're looking at the top 50 highest grossing movies of all time worldwide. Um, so this is obviously number one on that list. And what we're going to do with here, the stipulations, we're going to eliminate all sequels, uh, remakes, reboots, and, and also just all big IP, Marvel, DC, like the first Harry Potter movie, obviously not a sequel, but we're going to eliminate it from this. So once we eliminate all of those, we go from 50 to five, uh, one of them being Avatar at number one. Uh, at number three is Titanic. So two of the five of those movies um, are James Cameron movies. Uh, so do we have any guesses for what the other three, I guess you could call them original stories, are in the top 50 box office? So are these, are, are these things that there's like sequels don't exist at all or? Uh, so one of them, this might give it away, one of them has a sequel. Uh, one of them has a reboot and one of them, I believe, is standalone. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> Does like Star Wars or Jurassic Park count? I'm no, those are eliminated um, because only only sequels. Um, and Jurassic Park was kind of a gray area one because that, that is technically based on a book. I almost included it because the book really wasn't the draw for the movie. But to be fair, I did eliminate Jurassic Park also, and also the original Jurassic Park is on the top. Okay, cool. Um, so we're well, looking at three movies, uh, and they do all have something in common. Um, if you need a hint, I can give you a hint. Yeah, let's let's take the hint. <laughs> uh, there are all three animated Disney movies. Okay, I was gonna say Finding Nemo because I know Finding, not Finding Nemo, Finding Dory is in like Finding the Dory, top ten. Yep, Finding Dory uh, did make it on the list. Really? Yep. And I will say, so the one that sequel is on the list, the sequel is higher, and the one that the reboot is on the list, the reboot is much higher uh the lion king that's gotta be up there yep okay. lion king the original is number 39 on the list uh the <laughs> reboot is number eight crazy yeah so yeah we're looking lion king so there's two others any guesses or do you just want me to, to tell you um oh uh the incredibles the incredibles too <laughs> Uh, Incred yeah, Incredibles 2 made the list, I think. A lot of the sequels did. You know, a lot of the Toy Story sequels um, did, but Incredibles, the first one, is not on the list. So we're Inside at, Out? Did that make how much money? I was Aladdin? thinking Cars would be the only one, but I, I don't know. Just, just tell us. <laughs> yeah, go for it. We're looking at Frozen is number oh. 19 on the list. Uh, the sequel is number 12. Yeah. So Frozen, and then the other one that... I could have been incorrect. This maybe does have a sequel, but Zootopia comes in at 43. That's a shout. Um, yeah, so the, the answer was uh, Frozen, Lion King, Zootopia, and then maybe the original Jurassic Park, if you want to count that. But I think the book eliminates it, even though the book wasn't the draw. But um, just for fairness, so really the only three non-franchise, non-James Cameron movies on there are also Disney. So if you count Disney as a franchise, you lose pretty much the whole way. Yeah, that that's a very good question and a tough one for sure. I frozen that ah, should that's we should have gotten that one. Oh, that's big money. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I do have another question and uh, it's just a quick one to create all the animal noises. They actually recycled sound effects from a different movies creatures. Do you guys know what movie it is? Different movies creatures. And a hint is we just talked about it in the last 60 seconds. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, <Jurassic> Park. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, apparently they used like some of the velociraptor sounds for, for the animals and, and different stuff like that, which I think is a cool idea. I can see that for the banshees. They, they do kind of have the, that primal dinosaur scream, I feel like. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Let's move. Uh, well, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Welcome to the Academy. This, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. Real fake awards. Uh, obviously a heavily nominated film at the 82nd Academy Awards. Anybody know how many nominations this received? Right, 10 or 11. Yeah, it was 9 or 10, if I remember right. I think it won 3. Came in at 9. Came in at nine. Less than Titanic. Yes, and it was it was nine, and it was tied with the Hurt Locker, uh, which obviously beat it out for Best Director and Best Picture, um, which you know is interesting. Yeah, that could be another that could be another trivia point of uh, you know that's obviously one of James Cameron's uh, ex wives, which I didn't know until doing this research. He has four ex wives, uh, one of them being Catherine Bigelow, who uh, was the director of the Hurt Locker beat him out for a lot of awards so yeah definitely a good piece of information another one of his uh one of the, his ex-wives is also a producer like his producing partner for a couple of the movies so you know interesting to see uh but yeah the obviously was nominated for a ton of awards i think deservedly so rightfully won best vfx wouldn't be surprised if this one also wins it again this year with way of water you know kind of getting into other awards cody uh, what would you want to give this movie i've won that i really love but yeah, visual effects. I mean, that's an obvious win. Uh, then I would have nominated Zoe Saldana as well for best supporting. Um, and then Catherine Bigelow, I think I could be wrong, but I believe like they had recently split up as well. So it's kind of like a, a big head to head when she won, which is really cool. But she's a great director. Check out Point Break as well. But my one big award I, I want to give this film, it might have the most dramatic button smashing of all time. I've been saving this. I this was the the big thing. I honestly just want to talk about this movie because like every half hour, you know, they get canceled out of the Avatar program, and somebody just comes up and smacks the crap out of the button. I feel like it's just over over dramatized, uh, but I love it. So it, it's gonna win win that award for me. There's a t so many like screens and holograms and just pressing buttons and it, it, it's you know it's really playing into the, the futuristic feel uh the, the 2009 futuristic feel at least I, I wanted to give this movie the award for the second best movie with a blue character named sully blue sully yeah yeah jake sully obviously the lead of this movie uh, doesn't hold hold the candle though to uh, obviously Monsters Inc. Monsters University may be a worse movie than Avatar though, so that can come in at number three. Mm, it's close. <laughs> Cade, what do you want to give this movie? Yeah, I think all the visual effects awards it won, it obviously deserved. And there's not a whole lot else that, as far as like real awards go, that I think you know it, it qualified for or should have won. I think you know if you're going to make up an award. Basically, I don't know. I think you could even call it the the James Cameron Gold Bar Award. I mean, it just it made money, and that how many other movies did this thing pay for? Um, probably, and 
I think there was even a quote with James Cameron freaking out where he said, I don't remember if they're giving him a hard time about making the second one or what it was, but he said, like, this movie paid for this lot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, you don't tell me no. Like, um, so I think he's the, he's the master at it. He just makes movies, I guess, that just appeal to the masses. And I mean, a lot of them are really good, too. So um, you really can't hate on him. This is probably my least favorite of, of the ones I've seen, but he knows how to make a movie that makes money. So um, yeah. Yeah, give him the gold bar. <laughs> I think he's, you have to. I mean, he's got plenty, they, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they greenlit what four sequels off of this just one mm-hmm. major success. Yeah. So yeah, that's insane in itself. But I would I would agree. This is probably my least favorite James Cameron film, which is pretty crazy. He's he's a pretty accomplished director. Other than Piranha 2, but I don't know if it counts. Does Piranha 2 count? And uh, no, we, we won't count it in the, <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. I do want to say, you know, obviously this movie, like you said, greenlit four sequels. This man is 68 years old and like he's basically going to die making these movies. So, I mean, and he seems content with it. It's kind of addressed a little bit in that uh, GQ article that we've talked about a couple of times. But, you know, definitely. Inter- I mean, he's very passionate about this. This is his, you know, final piece of work, which is interesting to see. I don't think he sees it as that. But if we're being realistic, these movies are going to take many years to make and you know he's getting up there i would say this has to be it i mean what the sequel's coming out or it's scheduled to come out like 2024 and then they're making like at least two more after that so we're talking 2030 easily by then yeah i think i saw that he said that he has written them because i think they're all written he's written Mm -hmm. them in a way where there's an out after the third one where i think that that could wrap it up i don't know if that's planning bad financial like maybe this one doesn't do as good or this you one know, bombs. yeah yeah unfortunately you know he is getting old but it's crazy in what 28 years we're about to only get the third james cameron movie in that run and two of them are these avatar movies it kind of stinks when when you look at his 80s and 90s um he came out hot and then yeah really slowed down for i guess what is kind of a passion project for him but also made three billion dollars so it's it's a good good passion project to have i guess <laughs> I think most people would be uh, content with that passion for sure. Yeah. Uh, I do also want to just shout out this movie for, for having the weirdest way to tame some animals. Uh, we haven't really talked about the ponytail attachment thing. Just kind of a strange piece of the culture and the lore. Uh, I don't know. Cody, what do you think about that? Does that make you feel uncomfortable a little bit? I don't know about uncomfortable. It is kind of just strange. Like even the avatars of... He just looks down, he's got, you know, this long ass braid and then some like, I don't know, it's like little fingers kind of poking out, trying to grab at something. But yeah, and then like all these animals have it too. It kind of just seems like convenient, like, oh, I can control this banshee now. Uh, I don't have to do any training. I He just knows what he's going to do. But yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. it's about like, you know, connection to the the natural world and, and everything is is living and breathing together. But I don't know. It's kind of strange. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of crap to me. <laughs> All right, let's move on to invite, fight, night. I dump thee. So, William. Who do you want to invite on the podcast? Uh, first of all, I'll start invite. I think it'd be great. Uh, outside of the movie, if you want to grab the director, James Cameron, he's, you know, just listen to that guy talk, you know, love him or hate him. He is definitely a very interesting man to hear speak. And I'm sure we would get lots of views on the James Cameron episode. 
Um, and then if not, then let's, uh, let's get the deity. Let's get Awe on the, uh, on the podcast. Can we like plug the computer into the tree and, and see if we can communicate with the, the memories of the past lives of the Navi people? That'd get more views than James Cameron, I would think. Yeah, that would be something. I, I also said James Cameron. I said James Cameron in my note is he's the only character that matters in this. I mean, he's the reason people came to the movie. He's the reason people are going to go to the next movie. He is the only person that matters in this movie. So. Yeah, definitely James Cameron. Seems like an interesting guy that's made a lot of great movies. Yep, I agree. I'd love to hear more about his uh, Terminator fever dreams. But who I picked, I picked Sigourney Weaver. Uh, we can kind of have her and her character, because I think obviously her in real life is a bit more interesting. But kind of like there's more backstory to her character as well. Like she was on Pandora for obviously a lot longer than Jake Sully. And she got like kicked out of the clan somehow. They don't, they don't explain it too much. So I would want to hear like, more of her part of the story because she's kind of put on the back burner and then just dies for no reason at the end so might as well get her on and explain her situation a little bit more yeah every like just like everyone else like the lack of backstory her backstory it's barely like touched on and like they show some pictures with her in the clan and like they i guess they implied because they speak english that they've already had some interaction but like even asked her at one point like oh, how'd you learn English? And then, like, she doesn't answer. And then we find out forever later, like, oh, that lady used to live. Sigourney Weaver used to live with them and then was outed. And, like, we just don't have any of the story, which is fine, I guess, but it's it's also just crazy. The entire movie, we don't get any of that backstory. I think there's just a story there with her that's a lot more interesting, uh, hearing more about, you know, what happened, uh, as well as the fact that just, like, even even if it's just going to be like a one throwaway line to kind of give some further depth, I think it would be better um, for sure. Let's uh, let's move over to who, who do we want to fight, and uh, I'm going to take on the par- character of Parker, which is uh, Giovanni Rubisi's character. He's honestly like he's like Stephen Lang is just bad, but I think he just kind of hates everyone. Rubisi's character says like the worst stuff. He's like this guy. They're like he says they're fly bitten savages. He calls them blue monkeys. He he's the the greedy character, which to a certain degree is almost worse. And yeah, I think he just uh, needs clocked. Oh yeah, that, I think that's the obvious pick, just because he does have such a punchable face as well. That's funny. I I would have never guessed in a million years that guy's name was Parker until you mentioned that. So yeah, Rubisi for life. He he doesn't have an actual character name. I'm going to fight the the same person that I'm inviting. I'm fighting James Cameron. (laughs) What are you doing? Like, we don't want, who's asking for these movies? Okay. Three billion, three billion $3 billion. A lot of people are probably asking for, but like, I want to see, you know, prime nineties, James Cameron. I want to see more, I mean, more Terminator than Titanic, but I want to see more of that. I I don't want to see more of these movies. So what are you doing, James? Like, 25 years and you've given us two avatar movies it's definitely unfortunate when like a guy with that much talent and he could be putting out the most like better like so many good movies in that time span even if like even the process takes a while i get that but even if it was like every four or five years he's putting something out but it's two and 25 is is a little rough for sure just bad for the industry as a whole as well well yeah i mean he is past his prime though i mean at some point, you got to stop making movies. True. I think he just, you know, he loves money and he loves the environment. So this is a good combo for him. But yeah, I do agree. Uh, my fight might be a little controversial, actually. I don't even know if I should be saying this. But uh, since I feel like everybody dies in this movie anyways, so there's no point even to, to fight any of the main characters. So I'm going to go after Yua. Uh, <laughs> You're going to so, fight the deity. 
<laughs> yeah. Got some beef with them. I mean, basically, they wait until all of the Navi are dead, basically. Until they send in the rhinos, they send in the banshees. So I don't think that's cool. I think, you know, they sacrificed too much in this fight and uh, they waited too long on the trigger. So I'm going to, I'm going to fight her. Yeah. You you mentioned the beginning of the podcast that like religion is obviously there, there's themes of that throughout. And yeah. uh, there, there's a scene where, where Jake kind of prays to, to Yahweh and, and or Yahweh and like, you know, please save us. And then Zoe Saldana comes in and she's like, Oh, they don't choose sides, you know, it, which is, I think is very reminiscent of like this, like, you know, the gods, they stay above everything and they, they look down upon us and they don't, you know, have interactions. Um, and I agree. Yeah. If, if you have the power to send in the animal re- 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 reinforcements, bring them in. I mean, where were they the entire movie? I mean, you waited until they took down the tree. They're basically just trampling you at this point. And uh, this is the, this is the last lack here, but uh, I mean, I guess, you know, they showed up when it mattered, but I mean, it would have been nice to have a lot earlier, but you know, we, we shouldn't ask for those things, I guess. Yeah. Cody, who do you want to knight? Yeah, uh, I want to knight the uh, the other Avatar guy. I believe you know his name, the nerdy one. Norm Spellman? Yeah, Norm. Norm's a good guy, I think. And uh, he has to come around to Jake Sully, which, which is very fair. But again, just flash forwarding to the end here. I mean, he gets capped straight up in Avatar mode and then comes right back out in the fight as his normal self. So I think that guy deserves uh, a couple medals and definitely deserves to be knighted. True Kate. story, I think. Okay, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to keep it going. I invited him and I want to fight him. I'm going to knight James Cameron. Without James Cameron, <laughs> this movie is nothing. Like, he did it all. Like, he's the reason why people came out. He talked about this movie for 25 years, hyped it up. And, I mean, for the most part, he delivered because reviews were really positive. I, I went back and read the reviews. And while I, I thought it was just fine, I mean, the number of reviews I saw comparing it to Star Wars, like, oh, this is like old people. Like, this is like when I went and saw Star Wars for the first time. Like, he accomplished what he wanted to. He built a world. Uh, People came out and saw it, and they saw it again, and they saw it again. Um, I guess we'll see when the second one comes out, you know, how long-lasting that those feelings were. Um, But, yeah, I think you have to knight him. He he did exactly what he wanted to do. and even though I, I don't love it, yeah, he did what he needed to do to make $3 billion. So, yeah, very true. I, I like that you stuck with your guns there, <laughs> sticking with, with Big Jim all the way through. Uh, for me, uh, I'm going to knight, and uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, but it's uh, Sute. He's the, he was supposed to be the husband of Zoe Saldana. And honestly, I think this guy just kind of gets done dirty throughout. You know, realistically, he was right about Jake Soley the whole time. He was this bad guy who was kind of coming in to cause problems. Um, he gets his his girl stolen by Jake Soley, which is also unfortunate. And then I uh, also want to shout out the guy who plays him. If there's anybody, uh, any fans of the boys, it's the, the character Mother's Milk from the boys, which I, I never knew until this week. But yeah, definitely a fun character. And then... Uh, yeah, this guy just, you know, he fights to the very end and he deserved better for sure. I think his death was kind of the most you know, frustrating because that, that is like a good character. Again, not much screen time, but good that's character. somebody, well, <laughs> right. Somebody I liked on screen for, the, for a small amount of time. I call that a good character, I guess. But like, oh, you could have used that character so much in the sequels. And you know, they go down in flames, obviously, but. Uh, that's the one where I was like, you definitely could have kept them alive and it would have made it better for the sequels. But, you know, Stephen Lang's coming back. So who the heck knows? Maybe he's in the next movie too. Right? 
should check the cast list before, I guess. Uh, let's move on to the recast. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Cody, what do you think? Who do you want to recast? Yeah, I got a couple. I'm taking out the main, the main army duo here. First off, uh, Giovanni's going. Uh, go back to Ted three, but I, I want more of a menacing villain here, which I feel like I say a lot on this show. I'm gonna go with uh, maybe an out out of bounds pick, Chuyotel Ejiofor. You know, obviously he's Baron Mordo. That's his main villain role, I guess. But I think he does have like more of a darker side that we don't get to see that often. And I, I genuinely just think he's one of the better actors working today. Toby was a slave, obviously. If you haven't seen that, that's the main thing. I would say check that out. But uh, yeah, Chuyoto. Can't say his name, but great actor. And and we're going to talk about another one of his movies a little bit later as well. True. So stay tuned for that in a couple minutes. Uh, yeah, but I like that pick a lot. I agree. I think uh, Giovanni Ribisi needs to get uh, replaced, taken out of this movie maybe bring in someone with a little bit because the thing is this idea is he's like basically supposed to be the leader of this all right like he's supposed to have some yep. charisma people are supposed to like him and i just don't think he displays any of those qualities that would make sense for him to have gotten into this position of power really um so i want somebody who at least can have a little bit of like this snarky humor and, and appreciation to him some some people i was thinking of kind of jokingly but uh like a paul giamatti-esque shithead type role or or maybe even like a David Cross a la Alvin and the Chipmunks type stuff, or, or even maybe like a Tim Blake Nelson uh, in Holes, th those type of things. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that character needs to be replaced. I think they need to maybe be aged up a little bit. I think Rubisi was also a little young to be playing that character. But but yeah, definitely lots of options to to replace him there. David Cross, uh, I like that a lot, just for <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He does just like seem young in the role too. It, it seems like really just a miscast on on Giovanni's part. But oh. Cade, yeah. So this is whenever I listen to you guys, this is the one category where I'm always just like, I I have no idea how you do. I have a hardest time. Like even if I watch a movie like this, I'm like, man, I don't like that person. I have the hardest time trying to figure out who would be better. So. I think the obvious choice here is recasting Jake Sully. Uh, Sam Worthington needs to go, which I don't think it was totally his fault. It's not the best written character. But I just think it's surprising that, you know, a bigger name isn't in there. Um, but this actually goes to my trivia. And I read this before I rewatched it last night. So as I was rewatching it, this is all the only person I could picture um, in that role was um, initially James Cameron wanted Matt Damon in this role famously offered him 10 percent the gross profits and matt damon turned him down wow um, so i think matt damon is an interesting choice for this role i think he would have been good but also i don't know how much he changes the movie if he's jake Tully. um so as uh james cameron said at the time or i maybe he said looking back on it was that he didn't really care that matt damon turned him down because it was never about you know the actors and the characters, the world he was building. And he's even said that about the plot and the story. Like, I was just trying to build a war, uh, a world, set up Pandora, and I guess we'll see what the setup was in, in the sequel here, and maybe that'll pay off. But I, I think Matt Damon, um, some other people I thought of for that role, maybe like a Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans, um, you know, that's before they were really famous or popular. 
popular. So if you put them in there before they become their Marvel guys, maybe they're a fit. And then one that uh, my fiance Jessica actually, when I was telling her about how I have a hard time with this, she immediately came up with Channing Tatum, which I think is actually an interesting pick for that role. So I, I think I kind of like that or Matt Damon uh, would be the two I'd go with for that. Do that lead just Sully's role? I, I definitely, it definitely is a role that needs recast. I know, I think Jake Gyllenhaal was another one that like the studio was kind of throwing out there. Matt Damon turning down that money, obviously a huge uh, bag fumbling moment, but uh, he said he really wanted to focus on the Bourne trilogy. So eh, <laughs> I don't know about that decision. I, I do like the Chris Evans in the, in the Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum would, would definitely be a fun one though. Norm Spellman, to me, he's played by Joel David Moore. I think that's also kind of a weird casting. Primarily because um, I'm a big fan of the TV show Bones, and he plays a character on there where he's like this, again, like a tall, lanky, weird, creepy, but except in this, he's weird and creepy, but he's a scientist, and he's like got this weird obsession with death and depression, and I can only think of that when I watch Avatar, so that's maybe why it doesn't work for me, um, but I was thinking similar, like he's supposed to be comedic relief at points, but like clumsy comedic relief. Um, I was thinking, let's get in like an actual comedian, maybe like Bill Hader could kind of do this. He's done some more dramatic stuff um, or, or like a Sasha Baron Cohen, if we're really wanting him to like lock in on something dramatic. I, th I think he's tried for that. But then the other thing that I want to talk about, this isn't replacing a person, but I think maybe the weakest thing that we haven't talked about is the music. It's so like forgettable and generic and it just doesn't really stand out in a way. And I think that's part of why maybe it hasn't had that long cultural impact staying power in the same way as like a Star Wars or a Marvel, because like the theme isn't as iconic and, and music is very tied to your memory and, and the things you care about. And for me, I, I think if this had had a score from a, a Hans Zimmer, a John Williams, a, something that was like so recognizable, it's like, oh, that's the Avatar score. I think this would have been a lot more successful. I think for the themes, a Hans Zimmer makes more sense than John Williams, or you could even go with like a more modern, like Ludwig Gorenson. He's done, you know, Black Panther, Mandalorian, that kind of stuff. I always got to shout him out, Cody. You always talk about Ludwig for some reason. But yeah, no, I actually completely agree with you. I didn't even think about that. Like out of those top 50 movies, um, you know, Kate was talking about, like this is probably the least recognizable like music on that list. Even Titanic it's, has like- Oh yeah, amazing. My heart will go on, yeah. Yeah like Oscar winning music. So that is actually really interesting. I think James Horner <laughs> did the score for this, I believe. And uh, yeah, I feel like he is kind of forgettable. Hans would, would be my pick as well, but that's actually a great point. And, and something I didn't think about my last recast, I mentioned earlier, I'm getting rid of Stephen Lang. I think he's okay, but um, I think I do have a better pick. Well, I was going to say Dave Batista, obviously, but since we just talked about in guardians, I, I figure we skip over. I'm going to recast Sam Jackson in this role. And uh, I feel like this is the, the most Sam Jackson role you could get. Uh, you know, he has a scar on his face so that, you know, he's been doing that with Nick Fury for forever. He's used to that. He doesn't even have to wear an eye patch for this one, which is perfect. And I mean, the role is basically just a complete asshole and yelling at everybody all the time. And who better do that than Sam Jackson? So, you know, get him in the mech suit at the end and uh, bring him back for the sequel as well. I think it'd be perfect. I don't know about that one, Cody. <laughs> you prefer Dave Batista? <laughs> yeah, I, I like the Dave Batista pick better for sure. All right, Channing Tatum and Dave Batista. Those are the ones we're taking. There we go. I love it. All right, let's move on to our rating. Of you're going to look at me and you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? 
course, we rate the movie on a scale from one to 69. I do want to ask first, obviously, I just hit on the music, but like, what, what do you guys think the reason Avatar, despite making all that money, hasn't had the impact? Is it just because of the story or, or what do you guys think it is? Yeah, I think just the, the generic plot and like the flat characters, like you don't leave like really with any tie to any of the characters. And I mean, where I was reading those reviews that compared it to Star Wars, like there's not one character that comes to the level of, I don't know, five or six different characters in the original Star Wars movie. Like there's not a Han Solo, there's not a Luke Skywalker. The villain's not Darth Vader or anything even close. Like, it just doesn't have anything. Like, it, it just, the, no characters that you really feel attached to when it's all said and done. And I, I think that's probably the biggest thing uh, for me, at least. Like, when I rewatched it uh, a year ago after not having seen it for so long, like, I didn't really remember much about it. Cody, what do you think? I completely agree. Um, I mean, the script has its issues. I feel like. I feel like it's kind of just an event movie, if I'm being completely honest. It kind of just hit this exact moment in history where it was the perfect time to release it. I mean, in, in a sense, it, I feel like it's similar to Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, we talk about that movie. We have so many issues with just stupid plot points, stupid character moves. But in the end, like, if you enjoy the theater experience, I feel like that's all that matters. And it, it is like kind of similar to the original Star Wars, I guess, just because people went back and back and back to see this movie again but i mean yeah now that we're you know 10 years past and uh i mean we're going to critique it obviously but i would say like the general public they would probably say if you ask anybody on the street oh do you like the movie avatar they're probably going to say yeah and obviously that's not something we're going to say but i mean everybody in 2009 basically saw this movie so it it did leave a, a cultural impact i think and maybe just not as as much on us i i think the thing the fact that it wasn't immediately turned into a billion sequels definitely hurt it the fact that we've had to wait this long uh and i think that's in part because because I, I mean i think the night of the release james I, I was reading a bunch of articles and crap i think james cameron the night of the release was like yes we're making a sequel i just think he took a sweet ass time because he wanted to you know block forward but i don't know yeah, I think he waited until like 2012 before he like began to start like the development. He he wanted to kind of take a bit of a break after it. Um, but I just don't think his goal in creating this, like, yes, he wanted to make money, but like his goal wasn't to make as much money on ev- like every single facet. Whereas a George Lucas, say what you want about him as, you know, a filmmaker, especially with like what he did with the prequels. He's an incredibly smart businessman and has been extremely successful at marketing the Star Wars story, selling the rights to toys. And I mean, he funded the entirety of the Phantom Menace as essentially an independent uh, film from toy rights deals. Like he knows how to capitalize upon the world that he builds, whereas this is just a world that was built as a piece of passion and not necessarily then like, sold they, they didn't sell a billion toys they didn't try and instantly you know make the sequel right away they, they took their time and they cared about it which i think is why you know it hasn't had that as much of a staying power and people just don't think about it as much i will say i'm probably gonna rate this movie higher than both of you and i and i think it's just purely because of the technical achievement that it is the story itself is very weak but it's just one that's enjoyable like Especially the thing is like, I did re-see this a couple months ago in theaters and it was the first time I had seen it in probably seven years, eight years, like, I don't know, early 2010s. 
and I had forgotten a lot of it. So it was almost like I was experiencing it for the first time in that true like IMAX full 3D environment. And, and when you see it like that, it it does have a big impact on you. And I, I think it really does stand out. It doesn't hold up as well. And, and like we talked about, there's so many problems with the script, the characters, just the, the entire story as a whole definitely has some holes in it. But I'm going to give it a 47 out of 69, purely based on the power of what Cameron is able to accomplish. Cody, what are you going to give this movie? Not even a high rating. Um, but yeah, I agree with you on most of that. I'm going to give this I was going to give it a little bit higher. I think I'm going to give it a 53 out of 69. Uh, <laughs> Corbin does not like that. But I think that's a fair rating. I mean, this is just a mid-movie in, in my opinion. But, I mean, it has the highs of, high of highs and has the low of lows. I, I think you can go either way in a lot of different facets. But I think 53 is a, a fair rating here. It, it's why our scale is broken. Cade, what do you want to give this movie? Yeah, I mean, this is my first time rating on this scale, so it's always a little hard. Uh to kind of figure out what's normal but i'm in my head the number i had is much lower than that um both of you guys i think so i'm thinking so i gave it a two and a half out of five stars so if you start you know i don't know if you guys do the math off of that but it's like, yeah, we try to. like a 35 i want to bump it a little higher than that i think i think i'm going to sit at a 39 for this movie um and like i mentioned at this top i think every time i watch it that might go down a, a little bit I, I just really don't enjoy this movie on rewatches, I think it's just because it's so long and it, it kind of bores me um, at this point. So, um, if I watch it again, maybe we'll be below 35. So <laughs> we'll get the re rating on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back after Avatar 6 comes out and we'll yeah. see how we still feel. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the, uh, the end of our Avatar discussion. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts, guys? Excited for Way of Water? I kind of am. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I watched the trailer and I almost never watched the trailer for anything. And I will say the it looks even better. So I probably will end up going to see it uh, somewhat reluctantly. But I think it is one. I mean, I can't rightfully trash it if I don't watch it at the theater, if I don't like it. So I think I need to go see it at the theater. Having uh, Having watched the trailer, can you tell me what you think this movie is about? I, I have no idea. I'm not sure. They have kids, so I guess it's multiple years in the future because um, there was a bunch of children avatar and a pregnant app. Like, but yeah, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. Are we going to get humans again? Are we going to like, I don't know who the the antagonist uh, will be. I, I really don't know. So I guess there is a little bit of a curiosity. They did the trailer well where they didn't really give away much. So um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what way they go with it. Yeah, I really, I have, I have no idea what to expect either, other than there being water. So yeah, and Sigourney Weaver's is playing uh, their kid, yeah, her daughter, I believe, yeah, mocap daughter, strange, which is very, yeah, whatever. All right, let's uh, move on to defeat the watch list. So uh, in our last episode, our, our Guardians of the Galaxy episode, I was assigned to watch Children of Men, which I don't believe you've seen, Cade. Correct? No, I, I have not. All right, well, we'll keep it a, a spoiler-free conversation, but it was definitely one that I really enjoyed, so I'm glad Cody assigned it, and I think Cody actually went and rewatched it himself, which, which is I fun. Did. But this movie does feature Chiwetel Elegia 4, as you said, and it's just a really... I was very surprised by it. I didn't know very much about it, but it is a very well-crafted dystopian movie and uh, kind of 
makes you it's it's the the premise of it is that you know the whole world becomes infertile essentially right um which is an idea that i had never really even thought about or considered and when you look at like maybe the way the world would kind of begin to collapse uh in and on itself because of that fact it's definitely a really interesting thing there's some cool like religious themes in this and um a lot of stuff about immigrants and refugees and and you know kind of closing off your borders which even though this is an older movie, it still feels very, you know, prescient in 2022. I think this movie's way of its time. And um, honestly, just a modern classic. The, the performances are crazy as well. Uh, there's a great hippie performance from Michael Caine uh, in it too, which I really, really love. Michael Caine is a, as a weed dealer. I, I never thought I'd see it. And long hair, Michael Caine, you never see that. But yeah, I, I piggybacked your rental. I'm not going to lie. Just because <laughs> there's no- I've got my watch. Amazon account <laughs> I was like, oh man, there's probably nowhere to watch it. I was looking around and then, yeah, I saw you rent it. I was like, oh, I gotta check it out again. So great film though. It, it is very intense. If you uh, have not heard of it, maybe check out, well, I don't even know. I think the trailer gives stuff away. So it, it's pretty I, dark. I think going in blind is, is a good way to go. Yeah, it, it's dark though. So if you don't have that, don't watch it. But uh, yeah, I think that's a great pick for me. That, that's one of my better recs of all time, I think. So now, uh, now, Kate, it gets thrown over to you. You get to pick the next movie for me to watch. So if there's something specific you want to give, you can. Otherwise, I've got my letter big letterbox watch list, and we can pick a random year and shuffle. We can do this any way you want. Yeah, so I looked. Um, I recently, on my letterbox, put together a list of my favorite movies. I think there's around 30 on there. And I looked on, I clicked on all those and saw that you had, I think, Looks like five of them are on your watch list. So I don't know uh, what the rules are. If you want me to tell you the five and you pick one, or if you just want me to you pick, pick. you pick. Okay, this is tough because I mean it's it's five of my favorite movies, but I think I'm gonna go with Heat. I think that's just a classic. If you haven't seen it, I, it was on your your watch list. I think that's I mean that's kind of a generic pick maybe in the podcast space, um, but it is a great movie awesome movie i almost did breaking away which i don't know how much you know about that but i would recommend that to both of you uh, both being purdue people i don't know if you'd appreciate it as much because it is shot and set completely on iu's campus it circles around iu students and the little 500 bike race it's an awesome coming of age movie and obviously i'm a little biased towards it uh because of the iu tie and it's just awesome seeing around campus and stuff so i would say check that out but i think Heat, heat would be a good one, and I guess I'll save save the other ones uh, for future. If you if you have me yeah. back, I'm next time you come on, you can you can assign it there. Yeah, that's good. Heat is one that I, it's just almost I've been avoiding. Like it's one I desperately need to see. Michael Mann classic, yeah. and obviously being a huge picture, a huge fan of like The Ringer, they love the Heat over there. So yeah, yeah, and it's uh it's a little long, which I normally don't like, but it does not feel long and. There's a couple scenes in it that are just iconic, just awesome scenes. So I think I think that's the one you have to watch. You will not be bored. I think it's a little under three hours. So it is a little bit. Yeah, and then I and I know they did like a Heat Two book as well that that was just really yeah. I heard about that. I, I haven't checked it out, but that that concept is interesting. Yeah, Cody, you watched Banshees of Inisherin and tell us about it. Yeah, Banshees of Inisherin. It literally came out on HBO Max, I believe, today or yesterday. So you, you yeah, time think. I think yesterday. So I haven't I haven't watched it. It's on my my list to get to uh, as I catch up on some of the award stuff. So I guess no spoilers, please. <laughs> yeah, I did just go. get to HBO Max. It is uh, an interesting film. It, it's it's pretty small scope. 
but it's basically just uh, based on this specific island, which I really love. Uh, I think the world building of just the island is super cool. It, oh, it's it shot beautifully. The direction is is dope. Really interesting story, and it takes turns. I think that most wouldn't expect. I definitely would recommend it. I think you got a, a better theater experience, I believe, Corbin. But I would say overall, I, I did like this movie a lot. Play, played very well, at least in the theater that I was in. Lots of laughs. I think the acting performances in it are fantastic, top to bottom. Um, everybody's really good. And, and like you said, the island itself, the way it's shot, it's almost like a trap. Like it makes me want to visit so bad. It's got to be like oh. the most beautiful, tranquil little Irish isle of all time. It is beautiful. Every like just establishing shot, you're like, oh my goodness, like I need to go here immediately. Everything on the coast is is unbelievable. Yeah. All right, Cody. Uh, I'm gonna make you watch next. You gotta watch RRR. You gotta find the oh, do it. three hours. Dang, I gotta watch Black Panther and RR in the next couple of days. Oh, tough. There goes ah. six hours of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Long movies, man. They're popular. All right, now we can move on to we have a pod for them. Uh, where I draw a random card, you have 30 seconds. We'll we'll keep it tight and short this time. Uh, the movie we're talking about is Kick Ass. Cade, what are your thoughts on Kick-Ass? Uh, Nicolas Cage, that's the first thing that comes to mind, right? I'm thinking the right movie. Yeah. Uh, I watched it a couple years ago. I went on a big, I've done it a couple times, big Nicolas Cage kick where I knock out a bunch of movies. Yeah, I think it's it's fun and interesting original superhero story, um, which which I always appreciate. Um, but yeah, not, I guess I didn't, I don't think I saw the sequel, so I don't think I liked it enough to immediately go check that out which I don't know, is Nicolas Cage not in the sequel? I, I don't he really di- remember. He dies in, in the first okay, movie. That's what, I, that's what I thought. So that's probably why I didn't check out the sequel. I'm a, I'm a Cage guy, so. Jim, Jim Carrey in the second one now, so I don't know if not that'll entice him. Also, nobody saw the second one. It's bad. Yeah, I'll figure it uh, Yeah, Nick Cage, he basically plays Batman in this movie, which is pretty sick. Um, and also Hit Girl, I think, is an underrated like superhero in general. A young Aaron Taylor Johnson and uh, two Quicksilvers, one movie. Evan really? Peters too. I couldn't yeah. tell you. McLovin, I believe, is is one of the villains as well. Shout out Christopher Christopher Mintz Plasse. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen this movie for a while actually. But from what I remember, it was it was a decent time. It, it was kind of just like a violent superhero movie at the time, which was again genre. Uh, but yeah, Nick Cage in a, in a Batman costume. Uh, I don't need much else. So. I back it. Yeah, the, the movie itself is pretty average. It, it is a cool like look at like this high schooler like vigilante trying to become a superhero. Nicolas Cage is incredibly fun in it. Christopher Mintz Place is just a complete weirdo playing kind of the villain friend. Um, but yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz as Hit Girl is definitely a highlight. I do want to say the sequel I would definitely not recommend despite having Jim Carrey. Uh, Christopher Mintz Place takes on the full villain arc and he goes by the uh, character name. Cody, do you remember it? That's something stupid. <laughs> he plays uh, his supervillain name is Motherfucker, which yeah, <laughs> not, not a great look. <laughs> that is funny though. Yeah. All right, and uh, finally, we'll wrap it up with our last category: recommendations. I drink your milkshake. I drink what it up. What have you been into? What do you want to recommend to the people? Uh, Cade, take it away. What do you want to recommend? Yeah, so as far as TV, I know you guys, I, I haven't been watching a ton of TV. I know you guys are Survivor people. Um, I am caught up on that, so. Finale um, in one hour. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, uh, Jesse Wright, I, I'm terrible with the names of. Yeah. I think yeah. he uh, is the clear winner pick if he gets knocked out. I don't really know. I feel like more often than not, I'm disappointed with the winner when it's all said and done. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I, I think this is the best season since it's come back post winners at war. Yeah, I have complaints, but we won't really get into that. Just Survivor in general, I'll save those. Uh, also recently finished Better Call Saul for TV. That's obviously incredible. If you're Breaking Bad fans, uh, I finally got caught up on that. And then I dipped my toe in the White Lotus season two a bit. Uh, haven't haven't gotten super into that. And then uh, mostly movies, though. That's that's the thing. I, I have a hard time finding TV. So a lot of movies and this time of year, uh, Christmas movies. Uh, Jessica loves the Christmas movies. So I watch a bunch. I have a list on Letterboxd. I think I've seen 50 some. Um, and I stay away from the Hallmark ones and the direct to Netflix with the exception of a couple. Um, so mostly like your big studio theater uh, Christmas movies. And there are some good ones, but there's a lot of bad ones too. So if you ever need Christmas movie recs, I've got those. Um, and then the other thing outside of new stuff, I've really been on a uh, like 1970s movie kick. Um, I've been reading Quentin Tarantino's book, uh, Cinema Speculation, which uh, it's mostly the format is like essays, basically, kind of on movies uh, that Quentin Tarantino saw as a child in the late 60s and early 70s um, in the theater that had impacts on his life. So um, I've gone through five or six of those movies. So I'll watch the movie and then read kind of his little essay chapter on it. Um, and then, you know, he mentions a hundred other movies in there. And then you get kind of off on a tangent where you're watching this because he mentioned it and compared it or you're watching, you know, I'm watching a bunch of Steve McQueen movies because he's already talked about two of those. And um, yeah, it's like just a lot of stuff I've never seen before. Uh, I've never really delved into the seventies beyond like the major hits. I would recommend the book and the movies. So, yeah, that's that's a good rack. I've been wanting to check out that book for sure. Uh, Cody, what do you have for us? Yeah, not not too many for this app. I mean, we're recording pretty much back to back here. Survivor talk. Obviously, I'm going to indulge that a little bit. Uh, I, I do think Jesse will win this season. They could be doing you know a big fake out, but I feel like he hasn't had an obvious winner at it really. So that would be my pick. If not, Carla slash Owen over wins the fire making over Jesse that would seem to be his pitfall but uh yeah other than that banshees venturing check that out children of men check that out and uh shout out the world cup as well uh two semifinals today oh not today one today one yesterday good just good quality stuff set up for uh, a classic final a little messy versus france going back to back if you're a betting man i'd bet on messy but uh should be a lot of fun but Let's hear your ex, Corbo. I, I mean, I also don't have a ton as well. I, I, you know, Children of Men, Avatar was was finishing up the movie right before we started recording this. Um, but I did want to, I meant to give this a shout last episode, but uh, there's a new podcast that I've been interested in and it's called the Blank Check Podcast. They actually did an episode on the big picture uh, talking about Avatar for the first time a couple weeks back. Uh, maybe a month or two ago, but I really liked the stuff they were saying. And I went over and the whole idea of their podcast, it's about, you know, when a director has a really successful movie, then they get given a blank check to kind of go and make whatever passion project they want. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. Um, 
so yeah, they'll, they'll pick different directors and they'll go through the whole career. I think right now they're doing a whole Kubrick uh, series. They do it movie by movie, um, but they've done M night Shyamalan. And, but the, the interesting thing that I've been do, doing um, and going back is, is it started as a star Wars podcast, like six years ago. And the whole idea was they started with the phantom menace and they talked about the phantom menace for like 10 episodes but only in the context of the Phantom Menace and with no other like Star Wars out, like the Phantom Menace is the only Star Wars movie. And uh, they obviously talk about how bad it is for, for many, many episodes. And then they went on and did Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and talked about other Star Wars stuff and then kind of restarted with the blank check stuff. But definitely a cool podcast. If, if you like movie pods, go check that one out. Well, this has been a fun episode. Cade, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate good having you. Out. And it was uh, good to talk Avatar. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Absolutely. Going to have to have you come back, i say. For sure. Yeah, anytime. Just let me know. Everybody, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Stay capping. Peace. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.